morning, ladies and gentlemen. So glad for you to join us once again on the How to Bible podcast. My name is Levi. I am the host of this podcast. Please start your day off right with us every day on the How to Bible podcast. We discuss everything from parenting, end times events, and everything in between. Join us as we walk in grace and learn in love. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for tuning in to another podcast here on the How to Bible podcast. Uh, I'm excited this morning to be doing this with you. I want to talk to you about something that is very near and dear to my heart, something that uh, I believe is very applicable to our daily lives as Christians, as believers, um, and that is spiritual warfare, real biblical spiritual warfare. It's something that each one of us will have to deal with, we will have to come to terms with, that we are in fact targets uh, in a divine war that has been waging since Genesis 3, and it's important for us to be able to identify our targets, to be able to identify the enemy accurately, quickly, and be able to defend ourselves with the weapons that God has provided us. Again, my name is Levi, I'm the host of the How to Bible podcast. And like I said, we're going over spiritual warfare today on the How to Bible podcast. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Um, So, every one of us at some point in our life has experienced something that has really taken us by surprise. Something that has been kind of like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Why am I dealing with this right now? Uh, I can honestly say for myself that... This season in my wife and I's life has been probably one of the most trying seasons that we have uh, had in our in our marriage. We've had several family members come down with major sicknesses, major diseases and illnesses. I think we have kind of a running tab at the emergency room. We walk in, they're like, oh yeah, your seats are over there. We reserve them for you. you we knew that you were going to be in, uh, whether it be our kids getting taken it to the emergency room for head injuries during field days or weird nauseous spells that my wife and I have been experiencing, Uh, whatever it ends up being, this has been one of those crazy, crazy seasons for us. And I have begun to really um, feel the impacts of spiritual warfare. I've always been one of those people who are like, I heard somebody say, oh, the devil and spiritual warfare. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't want to blame everything on the devil. Uh, I can find temptation on my own. I don't need any poking or prodding. I know exactly where it is, and I know exactly how to get to it. Um, But this has been one of those seasons in our life that has just been exponentially uh, extreme in the level of coincidental spiritual warfare attacks, if you will. Like I said, we've had family members. I've been sick. My wife's been sick. Our kids have been hurt. Uh, Our family members are are falling ill, and it's just been a wild, wild ride thus far. So really, to get a good perspective on spiritual warfare, I wanted to access a specific group of passages in Scripture um, that really kind of highlight the outside world, the world that we don't see, the the conversations that we don't hear about going on 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 the other side. And if you've ever been through Scripture before, you've come across the story of Job. Job was a man who lived in the land of Uz. Um, 
and he was tested by the devil. I'm going to read a few passages out of Job. Um, just go ahead and go to your table of contents, or uh, you can go to seven, page 784 <laughs> in my Bible, and and we'll pick it up from there. I'm not going to pick it up right away in verse 1. Uh, we're going to go ahead and highlight a couple of things, but really I want to get into uh, probably closer to, to verse 5 and 6 in there. But let's, let's look at uh, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at verse 4. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their home, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings for each of them. For Job said to himself, Perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was a regular practice for Job. So we see uh, this man, if you read some more of the very first chapter, the first few verses, the man is completely full of integrity. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. It highlights this other part of his heart where not only does he fear these things, not only does he shun evil practices, not only does he abstain from sinful things, but additionally, he thinks about his kids thinking, maybe my kids have sinned against God, so on their behalf, I'm going to offer a sacrifice in hopes that God will hear it and he will cover their sins. I like this part of Job because it's almost symbolic of what Jesus ends up doing for us on the cross, offering a sacrifice for us on our behalf uh, so that we can have access to God uh, through Jesus Christ. I think it's an amazing um symbolic moment here within scripture. But we see that Job is this this man who is righteous, he's he's just, he shuns evil, and he even has a heart for his family so much as to pull on the throne for them. And I think that's that's really incredible. Let's jump over to verse 6 and it says here, uh, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that has been going on. So we have this divine moment when all of heaven is getting together uh, and they're meeting and the devil comes along with all the other heavenly hosts and angels And God identifies him right away. He doesn't sneak into the presence of God. God knows that he's there. And he says to him, what have you been doing? In this translation, I'm reading from the NLT right now, it says that he's been patrolling the earth, watching everything that has been going on. So Satan is aware of what's happening on earth and still has access to the throne in this this time frame. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Again, we have a reiteration of that, but staying away from evil and fearing God from uh, the first couple of verses in chapter one. Man, can you imagine dying and being in heaven and then hearing God boast about you? Like just boasting like, hey, have you, have you thought about my man, Levi? Like he's he's pretty cool. Like he's he's got his stuff together. Um, hopefully those of you that know me, you're laughing right now because I don't have anything together. I'm, <laughs> I'm a mess 24 seven. Um, 
But to have God kind of boast and brag to the devil, to the accuser, about you, um, I think personally, if if I was God's man for something like that, I would just, you know, hey Lord, just can you not say anything? Like we'll just keep this quiet, you and me. Like we'll be tight, but there's no bragging that needs to happen. You don't need to put me on anybody's radar. Uh, but apparently, in this situation, God deemed it necessary for for the accuser to consider Job, this man that God had set apart for His purposes, this man that God had protected. Um, and, of course, the devil replies to the Lord in verse 9. He says, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. How Look how rich he is, but, each, but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Wow, that that lofty accusations, of course, right, from the accuser. He will accuse you to your face. Verse 12. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with him or with, with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, so there was a, there was a time frame that happened. There was a, a span of time before this this trial took place. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. You can continue reading, but the news basically is um, all of Job's family is killed in one fell swoop. The whole building collapses and kills all of his sons and all of his daughters. Then another messenger comes in that moment and says, all of your property, all of your your livestock has been killed and, and carried off with raiders. Another messenger comes, all of your servants, and, and just like... You know how we say that that bad things happen in threes? This is like bad things happen in tens. Like it's just one thing after another after another while Job is there. All the way up, I mean, it goes for, this is, ends in verse 13, and it goes to, to verse 21 or 22. So 11 verses later, uh, or, or less than that, sorry, I see my math is great anyway, but you know, 9, 10, 11 verses later, um, it, this continues on, and Job says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow. To have all of that taken from him, his family, his children. I mean, as a parent, I think about that often, the death of one of my kids. Like, what would I do if one of my kids... Uh, was was taken home if the Lord decided it was time for my son or my daughter to be removed from from my home uh, that would be one of the most trying difficult trials I think in in anybody's life to lose someone that close someone who's literally a part of you they share your DNA you've, you've bonded with them and in ways that you haven't bonded with your spouse or or with other family members and and I think that would be really difficult but to have that happen to all of his family in one shot and then be notified of it. I think that's that's intense, but yet he has the integrity and the ability to stand there in the presence of these servants who have come to deliver this information to him um, and say, you know, the Lord has given me everything and he's taken it all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord in my trial. And it's incredible. It says in verse 22 of chapter 1, in all this Job did not sin by blaming God. Chapter 2, one day the members of the heavenly court came again together to present themselves before the Lord, 
and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, said, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's been going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? Ugh, gosh. He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. So Job doesn't know. Through the entire book of Job, the, the all of the chapters, all the way to the end of the book of Job, Job never finds out on this side of life what the reason was for all of this taken from him. There's there's no indication given to him. He has dialogue with God somewhere in, in chapter 30, 33, somewhere in there. He starts asking God questions, and God t- says to him, you know, brace yourself like a man, for I will question you, and you will answer me. Um, so he has, these, he has this dialogue, but he never finds out why. Why he was tested, why he was tried, why he was pushed to such extreme... Um, duress. There's no reason we get a glimpse of it here uh, written from this heavenly perspective. Satan replied to the Lord. This is verse 4, chapter 2. Skin for skin, a man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, so the devil's already struck out once with Job. He said, hey, if you take everything away from him, his, his value is in his wealth, he'll curse you. He'll, he'll curse you to your face, and that'll be it. Um, so now he's, he's up, to the bat, up to the plate again. And he says, hey, look, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me touch his body. Let me hurt him physically, and I will show you a man who is willing to curse God. God says, all right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's pleasant presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Oh, I love this verse. Job 2.10. I have it, I have it tattooed on my left forearm where I got it when um when my grandmother had a stroke. Uh, and it's a constant reminder to me um, to really check my heart. Um, to reorient myself, um, and to always do self-inventory when I'm in situations where I feel like I'm being spiritually attacked. Here it is, Job 2.10. Are you ready? Here we go. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this... Job said nothing wrong. This man has lost everything. Absolutely everything has been taken from him. Now his physical health is failing. But he sits there with the presence of mind and the spiritual integrity and says, Look, I will accept anything God gives me. I need to maintain my integrity. Shall we accept only good from God and reject the bad things? This is the perfect framing of spiritual warfare in scripture. I love this because not only do we get a chance to look into the circumstances, so we are on the outside looking in at Job's situation and the things that are happening, but we're also getting it from a heavenly perspective. We're getting a perspective from the heavenly court when the devil enters in and they have this exchange and God says, consider Job and 
devil says, consider it done. And, and <laughs> they go out and they do that. And there's this, this divine war and, and, um, testimony that's happening in heaven. And it's incredible to me that Job is able to maintain his integrity. Now, we've all been there before. We've been in a place where, you know, we've we've gotten a car accident, something's broken, um, you know, the car's broken down, we have to pay for something on our house, and we're like, well, this sucks, and I really don't like shelling out cash for this, whatever. Like, those are those are normal things that we, we learn to deal with. But when it comes to your health, you know, it's always like the fallback. Hey, at least you got your health, man. Like, you're healthy, you're strong. So what then? What then when you lose everything and you lose your health? The one thing that we always fall back on, the one thing we always say, if we have that, we've got everything. And hopefully that frames that up in our mind that really our health isn't everything. But the spiritual mindset of a warrior entrenched in battle perpetually for the duration of the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we're alive, that is the thing that matters more than anything. That warrior mentality of, I'm never out of the fight. And Job doesn't lose it. Later on in, uh, I'm going to see if I can find it here real quick. Um, Job, uh, Job challenges God. Um, he gets frustrated. Uh, his, he has some friends that show up, and his friends try to speak truth into Job's life. One of them says that, you know, um, that he must have sin in his life. That's why he's being punished. Job starts to speak of his anguish in chapter 30. Uh, Job's final protest of innocence in Job 31. And then in chapter... There's an exchange here. Sorry. Job chapter 38, we see God answer Job's protesting. And the first thing that comes out here is, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. So there are times in our life when when we're going to be in the same position, where we're going to be in the hospital bed all by ourselves, whether we're going to be um, sick in our own bed and our family's gone, whether our family leaves us, whether it be divorce, sickness, death, there will be a time when you will experience this. You may be experiencing it now. I do not want to make light of the pain and the suffering that you're going through, because it isn't. It is world-shattering. It is paradigm-shaking. Um, it will. It will... Seek to ruin and devour the joy that God has placed in your heart. You have got to, brother and sister, to check your heart. And that's what God does here. When he asks, who is this who's clouding my judgment? Who is this meager, infantile, vaporesque creature that is demanding answers of an infinite, sovereign, holy God? And then God goes down and he starts to ask him questions like, Job, can you hold the Pleiades in the palm of your hand? Now, if you look up into the starry sky in this western hemisphere, in the, in the northern hemisphere here, you'll see the Pleiades constellation. It looks like an arrow in the sky. And, and God asks Job, hey, can you hold this in your hand? And obviously the, the rhetorical question is, no, I can't. 
And God measures it with the span of his hand, the universe in the span of his hand, just, you know, this much, a couple of inches across his hand. And he has to reframe Job's mind. He has to reframe his situation. He has to re-explain that God is the one who set the foundations of the earth. He's the one that gave the sea its boundaries. He's the one that commands the sun to rise daily and the sun to set, the moon to give us light in the evening. God is the one that commands these things. He is the one that directs them. He directs the movements of the stars. He knows the laws of the universe. He regulates the earth. He's the giver of the heartbeats. He gives the instincts to the mind. And after all of this, he, he frames all this up for Job. And Job finally understands that God is holy and we are not. And God continues to challenge him for several chapters. And then I'll give you Job's response. Job's response to the Lord happens in chapter 42. Verse 2, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ash to show my repentance. Continuing on. Uh, verse 7. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to his friends, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately of me or about me as my servant Job has. So Job's friends come to try to speak truth into his life, and they say some really honest things, but they end up being totally wrong. And God rebukes them and refuses to hear their prayers. And it says here to take seven bulls and rams to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. God isn't even hearing their prayers. He's only listening through Job. He's only listening through Job. Job endured patiently. He fought through it with repentance and in the end his heart was corrected and realized that God was sovereign and holy and he was not. Now, look, you're going to go through things, ladies and gentlemen, that are going to be truly devastating in your life. And you may be doing those things now. As I sit here and speak with you, we have two family members that are extremely ill, one of which will most definitely pass away. The other is still to be determined. And it's easy to ask where are you, God? Where are you right now as I'm suffering? It's easy to feel alone. It's easy for you to feel like you're sitting in ash and you're covered from head to toe with sores. It's easy to feel like a leper, an outcast. When these things happen, I know I've been there. I'm there now. And my heart goes out to you. But read through Job. You get a sense of his heart. 
breaking. And then you get a sense of God's divine hand holding him. God is not far off. He's not distant. God is not capricious. He's not hurtful. He is just, yes. So there is discipline when we step out of line. But the trials you're experiencing are not punishment. Oh, Christian brother or sister struggling, you are not being punished for your sins. Jesus already took the punishment for all sins, past, present, and future. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, so you don't have to experience it. So there are three things I want you to keep in mind as you struggle, as you fight. And I'm just going to read them out of this article here real quick. One is to remember God's love. Remember his affection for you. Remember his desire to purchase back you because you had incredible relational value to, the, to God. Jesus was faithful unto death to do what God wanted to redeem all. For God so loved the world. So God loved the world so much. So there's this measure of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He, he gave something of himself because he loved the world in such a vast and incredible way. Don't be deceived, my brothers. When hard times come, it's easy to blame God for our problems, like Adam in the Garden of Eden. Believe me, we are experts at passing the buck. Ask any married man. <laughs> we, we are so easy at passing the buck. We've got to take responsibility for what's happened. Be a man of integrity. Own it. And don't use your well-oiled excuses. Remind yourself of God's love. One of my favorite verses, if you've got a pen, write this down, is Zephaniah 3.17. And it goes like this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Remind yourself of God's incredible love for you. Do not allow yourself to be persuaded that you are alone, that you are fighting this fight on your own, by yourself, because you're not. God is there. He's intimate. He's well acquainted, as Scripture would say, with sorrows. He knew rejection. He knew pain. He knew disease. And he knew death. He knew the fear, not of death, but of God's wrath. When he says, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will. It wasn't God wasn't afraid of, of that. His stress was of this relationship fracturing, knowing what was going to happen when he was going to take the sins of the world. The second thing is remember God's goodness. God is good, right? All the time, God is good. Remember that every good gift comes from God. Praise God for whom all blessings flow. I am upright and take nourishment, he says, of himself. Do we understand that we are alive right now because God wants us alive? We, we breathe because he gives us air to breathe and lungs to take it in. 
if God withdrew his hand of blessing, not one of us would take another breath. We see and hear and move and think and laugh and clap and dream and cry all because God says so. Remind yourself of God's incredible goodness. If you are alive right now, it is because God has a purpose for your life, even in your pain. Linger at the foot of the cross. Spend your time in quiet contemplation of his goodness to purchase back a people who did not want him. Lastly, and I'll end with this small section. Remember God's grace. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest no one can boast. It is by grace God extends salvation to us. By his grace. Grace, by definition, isn't something you can earn. You can work and work and work, and your salvation and the reward in heaven will be the same as the thief on the cross who asked Jesus to remember him when he entered the kingdom. Now, that might not be comforting, or it might be comforting, depending on where you're at in your life, where you are in your walk. Knowing that God loves you the same now when you're holy rolling and when you're rolling in the, in the mud pies. He loves you exactly the same. He loves you as he loves Christ Jesus. Remember God's grace. It starts with God. It ends with God. I'm going to read this little section here from this article. The text says God saved us of his own will. Whatever else we can say about free will, let's be clear on one key point. Salvation doesn't start with us. It starts with God. I'm reminded of the new covenant who rose with great joy in a prayer meeting to share his testimony of how Jesus saved him. Afterwards, an older Christian, thinking to admonish him, said, My brother, what you shared was wonderful, but you didn't say anything about your part in salvation. The new convert replied, My part in salvation was to run from the Lord as fast as I could. God's part was to pursue me until he found me and saved me. By his grace. It is Jesus who redeems us. His grace is extended to us. If you have a heart for the things of God, if you desire him, then he is calling you. Respond to that calling. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. There is nothing else. Believe. You don't have to work for it. You can't work for it. The work has already been done by Jesus. You can't earn it because even on your best days, your good works are filthy rags before God. Your best day, filthy rags before God. Be encouraged knowing that no matter what you do, God has got you. That your salvation is secure. You're not going to lose it. I am always comforted by the thief on the cross who got into heaven by just asking to have Jesus remember him. So, Father, we ask tonight that you, Lord, would remember us as we listen to this podcast, as we step out into the world. Father, remind us that you can't stop us, that the world can't stop us, Lord. If you are for us, who can be against us? So, Father, we ask that you would remind us of that, that we are unstoppable, 
We cannot fail when we have the God of creation, the holy, sovereign, fully complete, undependent on anything God at our back, standing side by side and leading us down this path of life. So, Father, we give this night to you in your name. We ask that you would steal it from us and use it for your greater glory. In Jesus Christ's beautiful, holy, precious, and mighty name, the name above all names of Jesus. Amen. So as we end this session here, I just want to close out with a quick little uh, audio clip of Andy Minio's song, You Can't Stop Me. <laughs> 